Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. And uh, lots of things, good things happened this week. Uh, today is Sunday, February, what day is today? 19th. Uh, and we had a bunch of finals. And well, not not just today, but yesterday we had a, the Doha final, which is by the way, what we are actually starting on. But before, um, let's uh, say hi to Vansh. How are you doing, man? Hey, Andre. Yeah, like you said, another really good week of tennis, you know, four pretty deserving winners from four different tournaments. Um, enjoyed catching quite a bit of them. And uh, yeah, happy to start off with the with the action in Doha, which was which was yesterday for Iga, another win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, I forget. Like, uh, ugh, it's, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sorry. It's been a kind of a long week for me. But anyways, like, well, um, I did catch a lot of the matches. I didn't actually watch the final on at Doha. I just kind of essentially saw a bunch of the actually Pegula matches, but I didn't get to watch much of Shriantek. And that wasn't actually and much to watch because don't, she... don't blame you because her yeah. matches were so quick. Yeah, exactly. I was about <laughs> to say I, I barely had any. Can you miss it? You know, yeah. so that's that's kind of been a theme for for Iga in Doha yeah. because I mean she spent two hours and fifty nine minutes on court. Granted, okay, she had a buy in the quarterfinals, but. I mean, to go through Danielle Collins, 6061, yeah. Veronica Kudermatova, who's, you know, a player in like really good form, like who's, you know, been putting up some good wins like every single week. She's number 11 in the world. Yeah. And then, and then obviously you have Pagula, who Pagula and Iga met four times last year uh, in, the, in the final. Pagula herself had to save match points to get there. And that in and of itself was 69 minutes. So you add those all up, you have two hours, 59 minutes for six sets of tennis, and you have a bagel in each of the three. And I, and I don't know that, uh, Collins didn't play very well in the in the first match. Like that was more about Collins's not, Collins not being good mm-hmm. than Iga being like super outstanding. I would say the first one, but the last two she really showed her, her class yeah. above the whole field. Yeah, I feel like that was uh, that was some seriously dominant stuff from her yeah. um, coming off the heels of losing in the fourth round of the Australian Open. And if you remember last year, this is where her win streak started with the thirty seven match win match wins in in Doha. And actually, you can even trace it back to the yeah the final she won over Contivate last year. That was six two six zero. So yeah. four matches in a row just played in Doha and they've all had a big set. And like they felt just as dominant as the score lines, you know? Yeah. She's winning some of these ma- some of these matches, just absolutely ruthless aggression. That serve that, you know, proved to be a very attackable in Australia in those conditions. You add, you know, wind to the to the equation. It was really, really windy in Doha. Gusts of wind all over the place. Uh, you know, her supreme uh, control on her ground strokes is what really stood out to me because obviously we know she has the the top spin. But I feel like she has such a good idea about when to pull the trigger, when to go big on her forehand. She has such good, you know, I think what helps her in the win, kind of like Rafael Nadal. I think she yeah. has such good footwork. 
So she's able to just like, she never looks out of position. Like even when she is, her shots have so much depth and margin that she, not only is she able to generate good racket head speed from like, you know, not so great positions on the court. She's then so quick to get back to the center because she stays so low when she's yeah. moving. And like, I just think her balance is, and agility is so good. And then you add that with the fact that it's a slow to medium pace hard court. That's where I think she's almost on. That's where she really shows her class above the rest of the field because I thought Pakula actually played a decent first set. She broke Iga twice. She was up a break, uh, or not up a break, but she got one of the breaks back and then uh, like broke back again. Like two of the games she won were breaks of serve. Mm-hmm. And and Shiontek just blew her away. Like from 4-3, she wins the, wins the next eight games in a row. And you're just like, you know, Pagula I thought was a little bit like frustrated with the conditions and like, you know, the, the wind was kind of like bothering her. Obviously, we know she hits the ball pretty flat, but she's very consistent herself. She doesn't miss much. Yeah. Um, and then, but Eva was just, was just next level. I thought in that, yeah. like, there was no stopping her. Yeah. I think it's what you do well in mentioning Dal. Obviously, like the comparisons are endless. Well, I think it's very clear that Iga molded a lot of her game uh, around like what Rafa Nadal has played. Like her forehand yeah. is pretty similar in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that's one of the the things that may or may not have come like unintentionally like to her as an advantage is that Nadal is a is one of the masters of playing in wind, and I guess like it, it probably carried over into Iga's game without maybe even she realizing it. But like, it's the the timing that you must have like in in those windy conditions and the massive top spin that she can apply on her forehand. It just gives her a lot more margin to be playing those um, conditions. I'm sure she doesn't enjoy it. I don't think any play, player really likes to play in wind because you really do have to be like a lot more careful, a lot more. Um, just have to pay a lot more attention, be a lot more focused, and it's a lot easier to get frustrated. But um, the fact that she can dominate all the, the elements like that a lot more easily, like just show it. Um, and uh, I feel like one of the things that, um, as you said, like she she didn't have really she didn't really have like the best of times back in Australia. She didn't um, get as far as she would have gotten um, as people would have expected her, her to, to get to. Like a lot of people were saying that she was the favorite for um, the Australian Open. Uh, I was thinking that she might win it, although I did pick, pick Sabalenka to win it, which was surprisingly good yeah, pick, it's, honestly. It's yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, uh, I feel like it, it kind of... After you get back of a, of a year like 2022 for Shiantek, like you come over like, to 2023, um, not necessarily the best of... Uh, showings in um the first grand slam of the year i guess like doubts at least in my mind started to creep in like how is 2023 going to go for spiontek is it going to be dominant maybe not as dominant we can't we cannot really expect 37 wins in a row <laughs> um if yeah. she does that that is absolutely monumental but i don't think this is going to happen i think she's going to win um she's going to lose rather um a lot sooner um but I think this this week kind of um uh her first week back I think in 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 on tour since Australia as well it yep. it, it really did, did show me that um I think she she does still like really believe and doesn't necessarily feel the pressure or if she's feeling it, she's dealing it a lot better than like feeling the pressure as not only being the world number 1 but coming off of the back of such a 
incredible year as uh, 2022 was. So I think it's going to be um, business as usual for this 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 year. And if she loses, yeah. I think she's going to be able to deal with it like very well. Yeah, and and it has to say it has to be said that even though she didn't play her best in uh, in the Australian Open, like Rubakina played one of the best matches. Like you have to play tactically against her. Mm-hmm. Which is really like just go after every single first serve that um you know that that is spun in because obviously we know that's not like the strength of her game, right? Um, particularly on a particularly on a fast court. And Rubakina was just able to do that like relentlessly throughout the whole match. And she was she's she's obviously such a massive server herself. She's a clean ball striker when if you don't get it out of her strike zone. And she's able to just like you know, all the even in that match, even though Ego was not necessarily having her timing from the baseline, she was winning most of the rallies that went over five shots. It's just that Rabakana dominated the zero through four shot category, mm-hmm. uh, like way too much for Ego to really even like flip the script. Even though she was three level up in the second set, and there were some chances maybe if she wins that second set, but I just think, uh, yeah, and she was obviously feeling the pressure. Like she had just lost to Pagula at the United Cup. A lot of people were talking about her. And I think this time of the season, she just feels so comfortable. Like from Doha to the French Open, I feel like there's no one I can confidently say like who will be as more reliable. I don't, you know, it's quite possible she doesn't win all these six titles again like she did last year. It's very, very, very hard to repeat something like that. But uh, it's going to take a really, really supreme performance for someone to beat her, or and she's just going to gain a lot, a lot, a lot of points. Like I think enough to stay number one is, is what I think. Like just. No, she might not win India Wells and Miami, but I think she'll win probably at least one of them. I think she'll probably still win the French if I were to predict right now. Mm-hmm. And probably probably in another clay tournament as well. Like it's just uh the challenge for her is I think is always gonna be Australia and Wimbledon, but she hasn't won yet. But yeah. I think uh yeah, like it's a joke that she already has twelve titles and she's not even twenty two. Like she turns twenty two in May. Yeah. She's already winning like these she's winning a handful. And she's still the dominant number one. Yeah, like I the think, points. You look at the points yeah. difference; it's still so so big. Yeah, I have a I have a feeling that I have a strong feeling that she will defend Indian Wells. Uh, I think the conditions are. Yeah, are I, good I like for that her. for her yeah. actually because yeah. like we were just talking about the control and the wind. Like that's going to be a factor at Indian Wells, and you know, add the height bounds, you add the all the variables. Yeah, I just think, and also because the tension, I feel like will be on so many other players as well. Like maybe maybe less so on the WTA, but like because it's a combined event. Yeah, uh, and because sure. you play every other day, we'll see how she she handles that. Because yeah. I remember last year, well, she kind of struggled in the first few rounds. Yeah, like she had those tough matches against like Kerber, um, particularly Kerber. But uh, like early early on, she was losing the first sets, and then after that, she really picked it up from quarterfinals onwards. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, really interesting to see. Yeah, and next up and it's funny that you mentioned her age like she's 21 she turns 22 in the 31st of may uh yeah so still still like three months away like yeah during the french yeah i'm i'm checking (laughs) exactly (laughs) and uh the similarities are just (laughs) too many but it's like uh the one thing that i've I've been checking uh her next tournament is um dubai yeah, she she, she and, will uh, be the number one seed here, and it will be fun to yeah. see um, Sabalenka back as well yeah. because we'll see how she handles being a Grand Slam champion now. Exactly, and that would be very interesting too. I, yeah. I personally, you know, I would love to see a final between one and two. I think, I think we're starting to yeah. see a lot more like, uh, like you know how like 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 parity. We are still seeing like you know like ten players can win tournaments and stuff like that. But I, I think if you look at the lineup here, and for example in Doha, like seven of the top eight seeds made the quarterfinals. 
that's you know that's pretty good reliability like yeah because you had so many of the top players playing and then you even had like Sakari and Pagula get to the yeah. semis yeah. Sakari another semi-final defeat but even though it was two Pagula this time it was a three-setter she had some really good wins to get there yeah but uh yeah yeah and Shriatek has a kind of a tricky round in, in her opener. She uh, faces Leila oh, yeah. Fernandez because she just yeah. won a match today, I believe. Um, yeah. I don't, I still would say Shriatek will get the best of her, but like last time that they played each other was like in January last year. Um, mm. A lot has happened since then. Yeah. 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 It was in Adelaide. Um, I'm excited to see what happens, but yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's definitely tricky. Uh, yeah, don't want to, yeah, but. Yeah. Did Leila have to qualify for this? Not for this one in particular. Given... Yeah. Oh yeah, her ranking was was high enough, right? So she yeah, it's just because the draw is is lot. Yeah. Because last yeah. week she was having to play Pushkova in the final round. That was that, nuts. That <laughs> but the thing is, like this draw is is a lot larger. I think is a sixty four. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. This, so five hundred is tough more. to get into. Yeah. Um, it helps that it's a sixty four. Yeah. I mean, like, there's some loaded matches even then in the first round. Like, you still have Andrescu and Rabakina, for example. Yeah, it's the first round. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but yeah, like, I, I like also how, like, it'll finish on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then you don't have, like, you know, four or five finals on the same day at, like, the same time. So you yeah. can actually, I feel like the women get the spotlight properly on Saturday because I think next week there's only uh, one 250 and there's uh, Doha 1000. Uh, the 250 is in Mexico. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah and um yeah i guess like we'll have to wait and see like next week we'll be back about um today we won't be going over the full draw of uh dubai because like there's a few things that happened this week that we would want to yes. get over um maybe we we might do um a final preview or something i think it'll be fun uh, especially if we get a Sabalinka Shriantag, that would definitely would would love to do like yeah, a be, an extra episode of uh, the results of that one one thousand, uh, and then also like it'll be a week before Indian Wells. Exactly. But yeah, but yeah uh, I think I'm happy over to switch over to the men now. Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, we had a few big things happening this week. Like, um, obviously, um, world number two Akras is finally back on tour. I think she he played he didn't play a single event this year, has he? No, it's been over three months. Yeah. The last time we saw him was pull out of the Paris Masters quarterfinal with an abdominal injury against Holger Runa. He had to retire in the second set tiebreak, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And then he was out for the rest of the year, so it was a shame he didn't get to play the ATP finals, didn't get to play the Australian Open. We really missed him in Australia. That was, uh, you know, uh, would have really added to the excitement, I think, you know, yeah. had he been there. And then I think he missed Australia, but not with the injury that happened in Paris. It was another injury that he suffered in practice. Yeah. Uh, and he, he had like a leg or hamstring injury. And uh, so now it looks like he's recovered from that. I love his decision to come back and play on the South American clay. Yeah. Because like, you know, imagine if he'd come back to Rotterdam, he would have had to play these top players, you know, so so quickly and not really, you know, in conditions that he loves like uh, at this point in his career. So to come back in Rotterdam, uh, to come back in Buenos Aires on the clay, uh, and yeah. then, you know, I, I think he was able to experiment a little bit and work his way into the draw. Although I will say Laszlo Jera in the first round, I mean, that's not, that's not easy. That guy has some pedigree on clay. He's won Rio before mm. he, uh, he has some, some big wins on that surface. So that he was able to navigate that match. That was three setters. But what stood out to me is that all of what made Alcaraz great is all still there. Like yes. you know, that full package, that excitement that we love, that raw energy and that shot making and the speed. 
Yeah. I was looking, keeping an eye out for his footwork and speed and to see like, you know, if he's able to bounce back from, you know, some ups and downs. And he was able to do that so, so nicely because obviously I mentioned the three setter that he had in the first match. He was able to win against Lazo Jera, but then he played a uh, Dusan Dajovic in the next round. That was six four, six two. And that there were some really good, some really awesome drop shots and uh, yeah. you know, speed related retrievals. I, I noticed on his serve, I was looking out for his serve because I said the two things that Alcaraz probably I'll look out for this year is like how much bigger and more efficient does that first serve get? Because we know he has the speeds. Like yeah. he can hit one thirty. But does yeah. he is he gonna improve the spot serving and the variation? And I think uh I noticed that he wasn't hitting as many kick serves this week. He was hitting more slice and flat serves. Mm. So that's you know, and that's interesting because obviously on the on the clay we know that kick serve you know is is really effective. Yeah. He can get over player's shoulder, especially on the ad side. He can then dictate with a first ball forehand or backhand. Yeah. But in this, he was hitting a lot more flat, a lot more kick. He was mixing it up, uh, and he was still getting the high speeds. He hit like one thirty seven. He hit some two twenty seven keys. Um, and yeah, he was he was getting some. Even though he got broken and stuff, I, I yeah. like he was like experimenting. He was serving and volleying. He was like yeah, trying out different things. And I feel like he can do that in in a field like this. Even though like these are such good players, I feel like even when he gets broken, he can always count on his return. He can and uh and break back, and yeah, just just another like, electrifying week for Alcaraz. And I, I was a little bit. Uh, I thought the Nori match would would maybe go three sets. It would be tricky. Yeah, was, uh, it was tricky in yeah, the end. It, yeah, it was tricky because he was up six three five two. Yeah, and then and then I, I think he felt the nerves a little bit of like this was his first time closing out a title since the U.S. Open. Yeah, so he he played kind of a, a nervy game to get broken, and then like you you never want to allow Nori back into a match because yeah. you know you know he's he's really tough to beat, especially if you allow him another chance. And then Alcaraz was able to. To close Great. him out, yeah, yeah. To close it out, seven five. So yeah, I thought yeah, I thought it was a great decision as well that he chose to go to uh, South America. Of course, like yeah. he he has points to defend in Rio, so that's already good that he chose to go down and just play, play on clay. Yeah, it's pretty much the same field in Rio as it was in Buenos yeah, Aires. Exactly. So it's, I mean, yeah, just five hundred points, but essentially the same players. You have Mosetti, Schwartzman, Nori. Yeah, it's all the same. So yeah. And uh, I think that's pretty good as well because, like, I feel like the atmosphere was really good for Alcaraz as well. Like, just playing like in a in a yeah. Spanish speaking country, uh, a lot of fans around. Like, you can um, like yeah, zero pressure essentially. Videos. Yeah, it was so good. Of people were literally lying on the floor to watch yeah. his practices outside of the. I would have done that too. <laughs> it's like I don't blame them. Like this, you, yeah. know, you, never, you might not get that chance again. Yeah. To to go, to go in because it's so packed, but. Yeah, yeah, you're you're so right about the reception. Like, because yeah. you know, like he speaks Spanish, he just feels like so comfortable in that environment. Yeah, you and could see you that. could see in his reaction sometimes. You're just like having so much fun to be back on court, and that was essentially yeah. like as you said, like the energy was back. Um, I love that he played drop shots as well. Like, I feel like it's almost like he never left. In a sense, like of course, yeah. like uh, he might have been a little rusty here and there. Like, I feel like um um. The fact that he wasn't able to close the title right away, uh, it was one of those. But like, he wasn't necessarily mistiming his drop shots. He didn't really lose his touch. His um, his accuracy on the forehand and the backhand were still pretty awesome. And the way that he came back to take the second set in, in the final and win against Nori was pretty phenomenal because it was... You could see he was frustrated. And that, like I remember like one of the things that he was saying like last year, like he... He's sort of like like Dominic team was that when he's frustrated and he's playing um not 
as well he starts just like whacking the ball and like wailing it like yeah, as hard as he team, can he's like team in that sense like, exactly he, he starts yeah. going bigger when he gets tight yeah yeah you know you yeah. see some players they get a little most players actually get yeah. passive and they yeah. start rolling balls in and you know maybe yeah. like, hoping for their opponent to miss he's not a little, we're gonna talk about him like later on but fritz ended up doing that to in the dairy mm-hmm. the dairy beach final today i noticed and uh yeah, and like back to Akras, he just started like hitting big forehands, big backhands, big serves, and just kind of like pumping himself up, like just big vamos, like and on court. And you could see that he, and it was so quick though, like because it's so easy that for a player when they get frustrated, just kind of let this go for like way too long. For him, it took it took him like two games or something like that, like because yeah. it was pretty insane. He, he shook that off pretty quickly because that could have gotten complicated, you know, if Nori holds there. Yeah, you go to a tie break. I mean, I remember their matches like last year. They had some good battles these two. They, Nori actually beat him the last time they played in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. That was a like a three hour match, three sets. It was just before the U.S. Open in the quarterfinals of Cincinnati. But they they played in Indian Wells. They played in Madrid. They played in the first round of the U.S. Open actually back in twenty one. Uh, and so they played each other like like five times now, and their matches have been good. Like it's a good contrast, I think. Yeah. For, for Carlos to really test himself. So he now he's played now he plays Buenos Aires and then he plays Acapulco the week after that. So it'll be interesting to see like you know if he can keep this going in Rio. I think he's still the favorite to defend his title there yeah. because essentially it's the same field and I don't really see like who would really stop him. Yeah, unless you know maybe if fatigue comes into play or yeah, you know you never know. He can always throw in a poor set or two here and there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do I do hope that like he's not. Because, you know, like he's just coming back from an injury uh, break and whatnot. But I hope that he's, uh, his body can take like too many tournaments in succession, especially like he, he ends up winning, I guess, Rio. I'm not entirely sure. Like, do you think he would play Acapulco? Do you think he drops out of one of those tournaments to try to like rest a bit? Do you think he's just young enough that his body just recovered? <laughs> yeah, he, he might. Like, honestly, he could go either way. It depends on how Rio goes. Like, he could. You can always like just do that last minute. I remember last year he won those epic matches in Madrid against yeah. uh, you know Nadal, Djokovic, Zverev, and then after that he we all thought he was going to Rome. He was in the draw, and then he just decided to play it safe, pulled out. Yeah, uh, and he was dealing with a niggle or two, and I, I think he wouldn't want to mess with that because he has so many points to defend in New Wales, Miami. Yeah, and that extra week could actually help because if you notice this week, like there's not much time between Dubai, Acapulco, and Indian Wells. No, it's yeah. just nearly the week after. Whereas I remember last year they had like that week was Davis Cup week, like in the middle. But this year, like the Davis Cup week was yeah. like the week after, you know, so everything's like a week later. Yeah. But I think, yeah, like, like honestly, hopefully they, uh, they, they've usually been making the right decision so far scheduling wise. Like, like last year he didn't play any turnups before the Australian Open. He didn't play Rome before the French. And he came back on the clay and he, I remember everyone, you know, we started to worry a little bit when he lost those two finals to Sinner and Mossetti. Yeah, uh, on the clay, and then he didn't like perform as well as we would have wanted in the hardcore Masters. But then he did. Then he won the U.S. Open, and then it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, that's what matters. And he won that, and then so no, he's 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 a great asset to this game. Honestly, he's he's so so exciting and brings a lot of casual fans and like I think the ratings and everything like the next ten years as far as like the sport is concerned and like just how marketable he is and just you know like I I like that he's uh. He's uh he's he's cocky in a good way. Like it's not it doesn't come across as arrogant at all. Like no, yeah. Like he he just he knows how good he is, and he is at the same time respectful of all his peers. 
Yeah. So it's just like, it, it, like, the, like the vibe that he gives is that he's enjoying a lot <laughs> playing tennis. Yeah, playing, like you can see him well. just smiling yeah. at his team and just like his yeah. box. I noticed uh, Juan Carlos Ferrer was not in the box mm. uh, this, yeah, this whole week. But uh, but yeah, like he still had his agent there. He still has a pretty big team, his physio and everyone yeah. there. So yeah, yeah, it's all good vibes for the Carlitos. That's, yeah. Oh gosh, so good. That's what tennis needs. <laughs> yeah. Breakpoint season two, please bring in Alcaraz. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he should be should be on there. Um, if they're doing it, like because Iga, Iga and him won the U.S. Open. I think they'll do some filming and yeah, yeah hopefully because you want to bring casuals into the game. Yeah, this is this, this is, these, is the these are the guys. Yeah, you know this is the guy. Like I remember during the U.S. Open, I had friends who didn't even watch tennis. You know, they just they saw Instagram posts and they, they followed the U.S. Open page and they were just sending me highlight videos of Alcaraz hot shots. <laughs> I was, I was like, yo, they were like, yo, who is this guy? Like, you know, how is he, how is he hitting these, like the behind the back shot against center? Oh yeah. Like, you but, know, the, the shots like that, like those. And you, and you reply to this friends, like he's the future of tennis. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, you know, now, now, now they know like he's the number one or he was the number one. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just like, I just want to see him and Djokovic. That's what yeah. I, I want to see a matchup between them two. Yeah. Hopefully more than once. Because I think that's the rivalry that's going to be the most exciting out of all of them. Djokovic, Alcaraz, like the next two, three years. Yeah. Uh, like that's going to be. Yeah. Hopefully Djokovic can, doesn't have like a super um, quick decline due to age. Uh, I don't, I don't see yeah. that happening. Like, I don't feel like he gives vibes that this is happening to him, but you never really know. The guy's 36 years old now. So um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I do. Forget that, like, cause a lot can change in like a year. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to just sit here and be like, "Oh, yeah, he's going to win twenty five plus." Yeah, you just, like you just never know because I remember even when Federer won twenty eighteen Australian Open, you know, it looked like you know he was going to win more or at least one or two more, and maybe even Wimbledon. But then, like after the Wimbledon final in twenty nineteen, it just you know his knee just stopped cooperating, and it was yeah. it was it was over pretty fast. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, just I just appreciate everything while it's yeah. while it's there. And I, I'm hoping that this year we can get like a few. Like a few good, like uh, Akras Djokovic matches. Do you think he plays? Because I think Djokovic is struggling to get in the US still. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I highly doubt he's going to be able to yeah. get into the Indian Wells in Miami. I thought he was looking for an exemption. Yeah. And there's like some uh, announcement on Twitter from an unofficial source hasn't been confirmed that, uh, you know, he's scheduled to hold a press conference. So we'll see what that's about. I don't, I don't really know. Um, yeah. You know, you know, we'll see. But as it stands, yeah, he can't get into the country Indian Wells in Miami. So he'll probably play in Monte Carlo. Yeah, and we'll see him on the clay, and it looks like Nadal's probably not going to play the Sunshine Swing. Yeah, either. exactly as well. Um, yeah, hopefully Nadal plays Monte Carlo. He's fit enough to get there, and uh, who knows? Maybe he can get like another solid like semifinal final lineup if like all of three of them get to that stage. If uh, Alcaraz decides to play Monte Carlo, of course. Yes. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Nadal hasn't dropped out of the top ten since April of two thousand five, and I think that's in danger of now being uh like that yeah. streak is in danger of being broken if he doesn't play in was miami yeah um but yeah like you know you you hope like he just gets back to f- back to form and he's healthy so we can see like them all play together and then have a good play season and then you know maybe we'll see another joke of all at the french or yeah somewhere and hopefully it's not in the fourth round or something because you <laughs> hope it's you hope it's like yeah. semi-final final and not you know yeah, yeah. Although by the looks of it, it's kind of looking like a, a round four. But actually, yeah. it would be more of a... No, yeah, we'll be around that. But 
but we'll see because you know I, I you know there's a lot of retirement rumors and stuff swirling around Nadal. But for me, I just have to wait and see him on back on the clay because you know yeah. even last year he didn't have any match prep leading into the French Open and look what yeah. happened. Yeah, and honestly, I will all I will only believe Nadal is retiring when he holds a press conference and says I'm retiring for good this time. Yeah. Because I, I all this time has has been saying like maybe maybe, but like Honestly, he comes I think back in and, press conferences they should just stop asking these questions about retirement. Yeah, like it, you, ever been like, oh yeah, you know, actually now that you think about it, I'm going to yeah. retire. You know, now that now that you mention it, you know, yeah. it's like they never do. Like they always just dodge the, dodge the question. They say the same thing. Like I don't know, you know, I don't know when. Like my body will will stop as long as I have the passion, I'll keep playing. Yeah. It's always it's... especially like when it's like a rough and a doubt, like caliber player. Like you're not just gonna get him like to kind of like um like, blow out, blow the better. secret out, and just like in a, in a press conference and then like a fourth round loss. Like he he's not gonna sit up in there and just be like, yeah, actually, I was planning on a press conference to announce that I'm. Re-. He's not gonna say that. It's, it's gonna be a grand thing. He's gonna announce. Things there's gonna be plenty of like yeah, um, journalists, like some kind of a yeah, tour, or maybe just yeah. like you know he'll un- like it's it's these players are so methodical about like yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see like how they decide to to retire and whatnot because like you know even like Roger he was asked questions about it since two thousand seven like because back then it was like considered abnormal to play past thirty yeah exactly <laughs> and now that's been the big three are totally like yeah and that was mostly because because of like players like Pete Sampras who was a yeah. um, he retired at 31 and other Sampras players before then mostly were like yeah. the two big champions that i can think of in the and, and then we had like agassi like at 35 like yeah playing good tennis but he's like n- nowhere near and people were just praising agassi for playing that well at 35 well yeah like you got you got like yeah. federer nadal Djokovic at 37 I mean, yeah, nowadays you have people peaking at 28 29 so yeah which is speaking of um, the next final that we were yeah, going to talk about before you just went on a tangent just out of the blue. <laughs> it was um, Medvedev Sinner, pretty good final. Medvedev had a yeah. really really good tournament in my opinion. Um, yeah, solid week. Yeah, I was very scared that he was just gonna bow out in like round one to Davidovich Fukina because his game was yeah. not clicking. Like he, he just, um, you know, like it can happen to a defensive player and a counter puncher when. You know, it, it, they're just not moving as well. The shots are just not as penetrating. You, the, it, they cannot get as as deep. And David Vitrikina just was happy enough to like just hit rip through his forehand and just like go, go for winners. But then I feel like when Medvedev really started clicking on his serve and on his defense, especially on the well, really on both wings, really. Um, I think that's when the match turned around, and I think that's when the week entirely turned around for Medvedev, in my opinion. Yeah, you know you're right. Like he started out kind of slow against Davidovich Fokina, and then he wins the next two two sets like you know pretty comfortably after like struggling to find his timing. But I, I just think like indoor conditions, slow these slow like indoor hard courts, they're the, they're the best for Daniil because he can just be the defensive wall that he likes to be from yeah. the back of the court, and then and then like when the opponent is least expecting, it, he can be on that baseline and just inject pace in his forehands. Yeah, and then or just because. Like on a faster court, you can you can kind of rush that wing, and if you have like a decent amount of variety, or you use the, you know, the serve out wide on the deuce, and like there's you know all those things that players have been doing to him, the past one year, they're just not mm-hmm. able to do that with the same reliability and consistency on these slow indoor, hard court conditions where like Medved- it's low bouncing too, like it's the perfect ideal yeah. conditions. I, I feel like for Medvedev, if you remember last October, he also won Vienna, and mm-hmm. he kind of yeah. beat, like he looked really good there too, like he beat. Um, he beat Dimitrov there. He beat Sinner. He beat Shapovalov in the final from a set down. So this week, it, it kind of reminded me of that. He looked 
he looked better, like more in his element, I feel like. Yeah. And and also he just doesn't he just frustrates his opponents because he gets in gets them into these long baseline exchanges. Yeah. Where like you have to be so precise to get the ball by him and just hitting it hard and hitting with brute force and uh you know being strong off of both wings is gonna give you progress, but it's not gonna win you points. Yeah. Because it'll just extend the rallies and like even the match against Dimitrov, like most of the rallies were seven, eight shots. Match that Medvedev ended up winning six one, six two, but you just like like unless you like you're just completely mixing it up, like you're serving and volleying, or you're just like you're having an out of mind day on your forehand or stuff like that. It takes a kind of some redlining tennis, I feel like yeah. in these conditions. Because yeah, like Medvedev is just so comfortable. I think it was an important week for him though to beat because he beat Felix, uh, a top ten player, like for the first time in over a year. His last top ten win was against Tsitsipas, the mm. Australian Open last year. Yeah, um, and now he's back in the top eight. I feel like that's where he belongs. He was yeah. number eleven coming into this week, um, and then yeah, like a nice win over Sinner, who also had a really good week. Sinner won um, last week in Montpellier. Yeah. And so this was his eighth match in what nine days, I guess, because he played three matches there, and then like this was his fifth match yeah. here. But I feel like because I actually thought Sinner did really well in the first set when he won, because he was staying super patient in these rallies, and not just you know pulling for the trigger early. Yeah. And, making mistakes like he was very smart about how he how he played tactically and he was like really hanging with Medvedev kind of beating him at his own game like in those long baseline rallies yeah he was uh, like over nine they had rallies over nine shots and they had 32 rallies over nine shots and center won 18 of those so you know that's an important stat but I think what that ended up doing is it took so much out of him physically that's true yeah <laughs> the next two sets he was just like you know you saw him a little bit like sort of hunched over after some points like yeah. he was just breathing heavily like gasping for air that's what i feel like medvedev he can do that he can take your lungs yeah. away sometimes it really remind me of uh when when medvedev played rublev last year the australian open how they play like this 40 shot long rally that rublev ended up winning but then at the end of the it was like nothing happened for medvedev and then rublev was absolutely done and yeah, yeah. It, it's I one of the things that i, I felt like yeah. i felt like sinner did do some good things like in terms of mixing it up in the first set he was 10 for 15 at the net Mm. He hit some some good drop shots. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. But he gave he gave Medvedev kind of different looks. And I think but his but that's not his natural game. I think that that's the point is like his natural game is still hit really big and clean off of both wings. And like, you know, like just a barrage of offense. But against Medvedev, you kind of have to like you can't just hit like you can't just hit through him. You have to hit around him in a sense. Yeah. And you have to be fresh enough physically to do that because Otherwise, you're pulling the trigger on the... Like, it's a mental challenge. Yeah, well, you, you, you kind of have to outfox Medvedev in a way. Yeah. Because like, it's... Because you're not going to outgrind yeah. him from the baseline. Oh, yeah, no. It's not. You're, that's not going to happen. Unless you're Djokovic. And even, even Djokovic in his later years, he, he doesn't do that. Like, he, he'll serve in Bali. He'll... Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought was cool about Medvedev was that, like, I've... um I've sort of noticing that, like, he's a lot more confident in in his own game, like the way that he celebrated the title was, was pretty, was pretty Medvedev like, like this weird celebration that doesn't really mean anything, but uh, it's kind of like a shake with the arms, right? It's yeah, just, exactly. Like like a shrug. He's, it's just like, I think he made that his thing. Like after 2019, he's like, I'm not going to celebrate any of my titles. Yeah. Because like, that'll be my trait. Like, Which is awesome. It, it, it's definitely a trademark mark of him for sure. And he, I feel like his mental game is a lot better as well. Like his, his problem solving is a lot better nowadays. I, I, I have like, to give him credit for his problem solving yeah, in this match yeah. because I, I think last year he wasn't doing a great job of that. Like exactly because same. Like, like when he lost the first set, he was not good. Like last year he was four for 11 
in deciding set matches. Yeah. And the year before that, in 2021, he was 14 and 5. So that's a big gap. And then now he's won two this week from a set down. And I thought his tactics were were pretty good. I, essentially, he didn't. I, what I liked also is that in the beginning of the first set, he went. He started playing more aggressive. If you notice, like the first game of the of the second set, he actually yeah. hit some big forehands, some like good angles, like got center out off the court, and he immediately got the break. And I think that just set the tone for the rest of the set because now he's a, he's front running. He has a big serve. Exactly. And once once he has the break, because he, he didn't he, he didn't have leads in the first set. Like he was finding it yeah. coming back, and center was four one up and. No, yeah, like, I was I was actually really surprised. Like he was like running around his for his back end to hit like a pretty big forehand. I had to look twice to yeah. see if he wasn't sinner hitting that chop. Like he was actually mad at flattening that out, and I was surprised that like he didn't really do that at all in the first set. And then he starts oh. doing that. Um, he did have a couple like run stores in that as well. He started like moving around sinner with his back end a lot more as well, using that like famous like inside out back end that he has sometimes. Yeah. I definitely think that he kind of decided to make a change in, in, in his game and it worked pretty well. Aside even from the fact that he could still outgrind Sinner from the baseline, but he definitely gave Sinner a lot more uh, to think about when he was started doing like those uh, tactical changes in his game. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, and 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 so someone that Mojo is is back. It's almost like he lost that first set. He kind of freed him up a little bit because he's like, yeah, you know, I could have lost that six two or six three, but it was seven five, and didn't really panic. And yeah, uh, yeah, it's just he. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does because, as we know, the this next part of the season, like up until August, it's like you know, like as many points as he can gain is like the. The better for yeah. him because, like, let's be honest, Indian Wells, like, I, I don't think those conditions suit him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like high, how about high bouncing, very slow, like, ball goes fast through the air, but like, he, he hits flat shots, and those are, you know, he's not going to get the same kind of penetration he would have a low bouncing, slow, like, indoor hard court or any kind of other hard court besides Indian Wells. I, I actually think yeah. Miami might be a little better for, for him, yeah, from a game style point of view, like, it, it's more close to a Normal speed hardcore. Yeah. What was uh, his result last year? And in Indian Wells quarterfinal. Oh, in a quarterfinal in Miami, uh, Indian Wells he lost early. He lost to Monfils. Mm. It was like the his second round. Yeah. Uh, second match. So yeah, he's not been past the fourth round of Indian Wells, and he's made quarterfinals the last two years in Miami. And yeah, this was a time like last year he was number one, and then he had the hernia operation after Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like he didn't play anything until the French. Virginia yeah. and then the French on the clay. 
Yeah. But yeah, and, but, but but next week he's playing Doha and then Dubai. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, you know, he plays three weeks in a row and you know, this might be good for him because now he's trying to get his ranking back up and Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kinda needs to be for uh before the clay season for sure. Um yeah. I do think that he might because he reached the quarterfinals two years ago at the French, um I do yeah. think that he might okay, he might find a little bit more joy uh in, in clay um uh, in the next few, yeah. especially because he has he has a lot less pressure on his on his shoulders. He's just trying to get back up. So I think he might be able to play better <laughs> or not. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I think so. I, I like his. I like it when he's the underdog for him. Like you know when he was number one and he just lost that fight. It just didn't really like feel right. You know he was number one, but he didn't really like. He wasn't playing like it. Like yeah. he had the hernia thing. Like then he wasn't able to play Wimbledon. Uh, and then you know he still had that lingering defeat to Nadal, which like he never got through. But now I think the fact that Australia is done. Like now yeah. that now that he's like the full one year cycle has been complete, and he got that out of the way. Yeah. Like now, like people aren't really talking about him as a contender. Yeah. Even like this week, I I feel like even me, like I'm being really cautious in terms of like like it was one really good week, mm-hmm. but but I still want to see him do this in a Masters 1000. Yeah. And in a major, particularly like yeah, particularly the ones where he's normally won. And then I can be like, okay, yeah, Medvedev is like he's back to 2021 level. Yeah, we'll see before by the time that he gets like maybe top three or five if he can get there. So we'll see if this he can he can pull that off. Um, And yeah, and I think Sinner. I'm still sort of. How do you feel about Sinner? Do you think he's gonna be back into the top ten this year? I think he's gonna be able to make it to to to, uh, Turin. Yeah, I, I feel like he'll be in the top ten this year. Um, I I think he's he's improving. Even though rank the ranking, like he was at seventeen at one point. Now I think he's twelve, mm-hmm. but also more than more than just the ranking. I think he's like he got his first top five win in a long time over Sitsipas. That was a big win for him yeah. to shake off the Australian Open match five set loss, and also the way he did it. It was very confident, and imposing. He like dominated Sitsipas most of, mostly in that match, uh, and then now he's he 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 does well indoor hardcore. He won the title last week made the final this week. He's probably a favorite to win the title next week as well. If he's physically, I, I, I worried about him a little bit um, physically. And I think he's missing like, like, like physically, like, you know, can he, can his fitness hold up? Because we've seen him get a little bit of niggles and injuries that uh, like, these are kind of like minor injuries, but then they, they cost him like for the match or like for like two or three weeks after that. Yeah. So I wonder if he can keep that up, like just get a little stronger in the legs, like keep working on the variety because I feel like, Actually, like if if I compare him to Rublev, I think he's more comfortable at the net than Rublev is. Like, yeah, he's like he just doesn't trust himself to do it enough in in big moments yet. But I feel like when he's up there, like he's he he feels he feels comfortable up there. Like he has options in his game. It's just now like like mixing them up against top five level opposition in in the big moments and doing it consistently without having a physical dip. I feel like that's the next step. Is like no more physical dips. Yeah, and like let's close out some of these wins. Yeah, because like you know, obviously we know last year the last three majors like six three in the fifth against Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, and Djokovic. So uh, that that shows that he's he he's like he's on the corner of flipping some of these head to heads. Yeah, that last win was big. Yeah, I do feel like there's like um he's getting really close, and that's like when it starts to get like sort of like you know how Felix got super close eight times to finals and never really close could close, yeah. close it up. Um, you start thinking about this cart issue and like how is it going to overcome those mentally? I just feel like 
in a way, like Felix, he sort of needs a big um, breakthrough um, win in a way that he sort of like you're saying, like just flipping up like one of those like big matches that he can um, yeah. he can win in a it's big a, tournament as well. Actually, for Felix, uh, like in against the Medvedev in the Medvedev matchup, because uh, he also had a match point against him last year. Yeah, and he's played him tight a couple of other times, but this one, like, it was just perfect conditions for Daniel in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And I saw Felix trying to serve and volley a lot. Like yeah. just just to overcompensate overcompensate for you know the lack of baseline rallies is inevitably going to win the long ones yeah. against Medvedev especially. But Felix didn't, didn't play his best though. Like there was a little really set for him. Yeah, it was, it was not a not a great performance. Yeah, uh, made a lot lot more unforced errors. Like just wasn't patient enough. Yeah, and his first serve um, was really low in terms it of was, percentage. The first serve percentage was forty nine percent for the whole yeah. match. So that's definitely not going to cut it. Um. Yeah, and he was defending his title, so that's always. Uh, yeah, it might have gotten better. to him a bit. Yeah, but yeah, because last year he also made the Marseille final, but now he's playing in Doha this week. Yeah, I think it's so, we'll my guess is that he wants to maybe. Um, I don't know if he's playing Dubai, but like he might be looking for, and, and I might be saying like just garbage right now, but like I don't know if he's looking for something that's more similar to Indian Wells so that he can finally do well in in there, because it's like yeah, I feel like Marseille doesn't necessarily make much of a of a difference, and maybe just trying to find like. Well, I guess Marseille's competition is pretty pretty high as well, but like I don't know, like maybe maybe Doha just pays more money, which is also a possibility. Yeah, so. yeah you never know. Like it's sometimes it's appearance fees. It's like you agree like early on to play these events, like yeah. the ones you, like you get a contract or something. Or... Yeah, plus it's also two fifty. So he would yeah. if he makes the final, he'll be defending the same point. So yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but any other takeaways from Rotterdam? I thought uh, Talon Griegspore, he's had a good start to the year. Yeah, yeah. I remember we were talking about him in this podcast in 2021 at the end of the year with Damien. Yeah. Because he had won like six challenger titles. And yeah. He, he's had a good start to the year. He won a 250 in Pune in India. And then he, I think he made the third round of the, of the Australian Open, lost to Sitsipas. And then he's now made the semis here and he beat Zverev along the way, which mm. is a good win. Yeah. Um, and then he played a tight match against Sinner in the semis, like a respectable seven five seven six. Yeah, it's true. And he was he was ninety five before Pune. Now he's forty, so I think he's like number nine or ten in the race too. Yeah, that's pretty. That bodes pretty well for him because he probably wants to um, push his ranking to be seated at the yeah. French Open. I think, I think it's seated. Yeah. Be, so be, yeah, something you know, yeah, because we're seeing more guys kind of break through at his age, winning. Uh, like from the Challenger Tour, but like transferring it onto the main tour and being in the yeah. 50. How old is he now? Like 26. Okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, like I, I saw him playing once uh, in a Davis Cup tie and <clears throat> he's um he's one of those guys that just hits pretty big. So yeah. uh, you can never really go that wrong with that. Like it's it's normally going to win you a lot of matches um, mm-hmm. at the um, like 250s and even like 500s like he did. So yeah. I think that that'll be interesting to see. Like, it'll be one of those opponents that you don't really want to draw. Like, if you're starting slow, <laughs> so yeah. or if you're like a like I mean, a first round. Worried about a uh, little bit concerned about Runa. Yeah, that's it's mostly physically, bit. isn't it? Because physically, yeah, and because he he was slated to play so many tournaments in a row. Like after Davis Cup, then he was playing one Pellier Runa, and he was going to play every week until Indian Wells. But then I saw like he just didn't look quite right, and then he had a wrist injury, and then he had to retire. Yeah. 
middle of his match. And actually, I think the wrist injury is like when he hurt it at the Australian Open, when he fell against Hugo Bear, like he hurt his ankle and then he fell on his wrist. Oh, but it was still it was still like good enough to like you know play and like recover. Like he still played in a five setter with Rublev, and then he played like last week, got to the semis and lost to Cressy, and then this week. But now he's pulled out of Montpellier, so. So we'll see. I, I hope he's not like just rushing into things and, yeah. you know, just, yeah. But we, like, we still have to see with him, like, do it into the outdoors. It's like the recency bias thing because he won Paris and he won, got to the finals of Basel and, like, had a good run at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. This is where yeah. we sort of, like, the February and October months are kind of interesting because it's like data gathering. And it's also like, like, is it foreshadowing another big run for some of these players, you know? in the slams or in the big events or is it just more like you know this is where they do really well that kind of thing yeah so, yeah um, we'll see I th- in wrist injuries are just really terrible like you can see like yeah. in Del Potro you don't want to mess yeah. up with the wrist like if, <laughs> yeah. if it's hurting one bit I feel like maybe that's why I was more concerned actually it was the wrist because you know we've seen what happened with team and Del Potro and yeah, yeah. those those are terrible <laughs> so yeah, and then just moving on, team, like team to, is playing again this week, actually. Oh yeah, he did. So wait, wait, but he, he also played last this weekend. Where did he play? Is it Rotterdam that he was playing at? No, no, he he played this week in Buenos Aires. Oh yeah, it's true. And he, he beat Alex Mochan in the in the first round, which I thought was a good win, and then he yeah. lost to Juan Pablo Varias. Who actually reached the semifinals, isn't it? Yeah, he he had a very good week because he beat Musetti, yeah. which I yeah. didn't expect, and then he. Like pushed Nori decently tight for two sets. Yeah. So yeah, it was a. Yeah. All in all, it was in, in hindsight, not a terrible, not a bad loss, uh, especially yeah, for. Well. But yeah. uh, but now I think now he's playing Montero in the first round of Rio, and then if he wins that, then he plays Nori. So. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Like, two uh, two lefties in a row, I guess, would be kind of a good. Uh, yeah. A good training. Yeah, we'll see because yeah. team, like I was so much positive about him at the end of last year when he like lost to Korda and Antwerp and he beat Hercotch. Had some good wins like from post Wimbledon clay till the uh, till Vienna, and yeah. then he shut it down for the year after Vienna. I thought, okay, good, he'll have a two three month off season, and he can like he can work his way back. Yeah, uh, in the in the rankings, but this year like hasn't got any wins like apart from the first round and Mulch- against Molchan, he hasn't been able to win sets like and the Australian Open I feel like that was the worst opponent he could have got Rublev in the first round yeah um, that's because it's already like a kind of a tough matchup for him and it's and he's still trying to work his way back in the first round and then like he lost both his matches at the Davis Cup in Croatia at the tie there and then and then the loss uh, on the clay these last couple of weeks but yeah. yeah we'll see hopefully he can get like to at least like a like a good level that he's winning some matches like i think yeah um in a way like even like murray is right now sort of like can is able to like make some deep runs and sometimes you can still expect good good matches out of him but like the way that he is right now it's um i don't know it's it's almost like thinking shouldn't you be playing like a, a couple more challengers here and there just to just to try it out but like i don't know yeah, maybe. Yeah, I feel like it'll be kind of the same. Like the South American challengers and the two fifty challengers are like not that much difference. I feel like no. Yeah, in terms of uh, the caliber of players that he is going to face, just has to like back up the wins and like, there's no really like substitute. I feel like uh, at this point, 
It's a little bit like Stan, but Stan is just a lot older and is kind of like one big last push because he also made the quarterfinals in Rotterdam and he's like kind of in the similar ranking, like around 100. Yeah. yeah. But, um, oh yeah, you mentioned Murray. He's playing this week as well in Doha. I think he's playing He's playing Sonigo in the first round. If he wins yeah. that, he'll play Zverev, I think. That's what I saw in the draw. So That's a pretty bad draw. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, it's it's winnable. I think if he... Yeah. Like, yeah. If he put, continues the form that he had in Australia and doesn't spend too much energy in his first round, that's what yeah. I, I always kind of, we always kind of go back to that with Andy's like, can you not uh, play an epic match, match in the first yeah, round? Like, like, can you not go three and a half hours, please? Yeah. So you can, you have enough left in the tank. Which, by the way, is, is more than capable of going three and a half hours in three sets. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we should talk. The last thing we should talk about was Dallas, uh, was, Delray Beach, for its winning another title. This is his fifth title now, uh, and he's uh, he beat he beat Mackenzie McDonald in the semis, and he beat Miramir Kachmanovic in the final today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I actually watched Kachmanovic and Fritz last year live with my dad in Indian Wells. That was a quarterfinal match, and then they played again the following week, and Kachmanovic beat him. And then Kachmanovic played this epic with Alcaraz, and this is kind of when Kachmanovic was like peaking last year. Yeah, like from Australian Open to to New Wells in Miami, but uh, Fritz I thought was the favorite and was likely going to win this title. He had some blips and he didn't like always play his best. Like you probably watched the match against Manorino a little bit. Yeah, and that was a bit tricky. But he comes through in these tie breaks. I think that's a big takeaway this year. He's eleven and one in tie breaks the, this year, and mm-hmm. just the one loss that he had was to Popper in, in the second set after winning the first set in tie break. That was the only tie break that he lost, and I ended up. Like kind of costing him the match against Alexi Popperin because I kind of think yeah. if he beats Popperin in that Australian Open, the, with the way that draw was, like you know, I I thought he was going to make the semifinals. Honestly, there. So yeah, probably the the next step for Fritz is start you know doing better in these majors and avoid these losses like to Brandon Holt in the first round of the U.S. Open and then second round of Australian Open Alexi Popperin. Like on paper, these aren't good losses. Like yeah, you know, they might have yeah. been playing really well and peaking that day, and like Popperin is. One of those players, and he played out of his mind, to be fair. But Fritz, the kind of caliber of a player he is now, um, yeah, like you know, he should now. I think people people expect him like to go deep and win these type of matches. Yeah, but, but this is good. Like he's won his fifth title here, and he's still uh, doing decent aside from that loss. Um, but yeah, and then I think the other takeaway is like you now he's num- number five in the world, starting October, starting February twenty seventh. So. That that's mostly because like what I was saying earlier, like the Acapulco points for Nadal are coming off and Rublev won Dubai last year. So those are those two are coming off a week earlier. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like it's not a guarantee that he'll be number five going into Indian Wells because he still has to perform in Acapulco and in that February twenty seventh week. Mm. And it kind of depends on how Rublev does in Dubai as well. Yeah. But but if he's seated fifth and Djokovic is not allowed to play the Indian Wells in Miami, then that means he'll be seated fourth. So that fourth seating is always, you know. Uh, a big thing when you're yeah. trying to, like, yeah, like just for the seedings because we we know how that works. Yeah, but It'd be good for him to defend his title as well. Oh yeah, yeah, and he he really likes and, and he's not like you know like a proven defender of titles or anything like that. It wouldn't shock anyone if he didn't defend it or he lost early with uh, like an Indian Wells. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he gives up a decent showing and he makes the quarter semis or something like that because. The last two editions, like all of his biggest wins have come at Indian Wells. Like the last two editions, he's beaten 
Nadal, Rublev, Sinner, Berrettini, Zverev. Um, you know, some some really good wins. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and obviously he won the whole thing last year. Yeah. I, I was I was really um well I, I thought he, he had a really good showing there Beach. He was definitely the favorite to win it all. Um yeah. he Because last week he was also the favorite, but then we had the nice UB Wu Yibing story and you know, Oh yeah, that was <laughs> that was that was way out of the ordinary. Like that was nothing yeah. that you cannot predict. But yeah. Um not that you, you essentially you should be able well you can't really yeah. predict anything, but I guess like now you're Mike Cation, by the way, because Mike Cation uh like predicted it before the tournament even started. Wow. <laughs> Which like that he was going he, to you know, win. Knows, yeah, that he was gonna win Delray Beach. Like, oh. like when the draw came on, he saw the draw and he saw he saw okay, Chapeau is there. Like he likes that matchup against Chapeau and then he was like, Okay, I who Yu Bing is winning this whole thing and he actually got it right. So Wow. Props yeah. to him, like um yeah. <laughs> Probably the only person who predicted it, and that was probably with confidence. <laughs> so, he said yeah. it on air too, which is like even bigger because he was calling one of the challenger yeah. matches on air. Like Wu Yibing, I think he's going to win the title that week, and he's like, it actually happened. So wow, that's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> especially with Fritz in it. Like Fritz is 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 an experienced player who's won yeah. a massive one thousand. So uh, yeah, I, I think that one of the things that was surprising uh, about Fritz is how like how he shows himself in the core like it was very very mature like he was very aware of like that the fact that he was the favorite and he was playing like the favorite for the yeah. title like the way that he played against Manorino he was defending really well um he took his chances like he didn't miss his opportunities um I think he got broken um towards the end of the um the second set he got he dropped one of his breaks but he had like a double break so he ended up like closing out the match I believe Six four or something like that, but um, he. Which match was this? Was this a Manorino? Manorino one, one yeah. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he was playing really well, but like I was, I only could catch the highlights uh, on tennis TV about um, on Taylor Fritz uh, and Kachmanovic, and I think that that match was entirely on on Fritz's racket. To be fair, yeah. because the the forehand was definitely the biggest short on 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 court his serve was a lot better his return his return was really good his backhand was able to keep up with Kachmanovic. Kachmanovic is still a little bit better especially when he goes to like that um down the line shot mm-hmm. but i don't think um i think the only reason that he lost the second set well Kachmanovic did play really well but i think uh fritz kind of slowed down a bit so like he was too happy to just trade and not really take uh the just take control of yeah, the rallies. He, he probably got a little bit passive as he was yeah. closing out the title. Maybe maybe felt the pressure a little bit. Yeah, probably. So like, I feel like that kind of really opened up the door for Kachmanovic to play his best tennis, uh, just start like dictating in the rallies. Um, and that's when it slipped up like for for the second set, but then he got control of it like right away. And I think that's really props to Fritz because um, yeah. well, like, Kachmanovic is a good player and um, it's problem solving, right? You kind of have to get back and just restart. Yeah, but I, I really like the self belief that Fritz has. So I feel like he he goes on the court against any player ranked one to one hundred, and he thinks he can win. Yeah, like, that's the impression that I get. Like he walks on that court against Nadal, Djokovic, anyone. He's like, I can win this match, and he 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 plays. He backs himself, and he he you know he's not surprised by any of these results. Like like to win these win these win these titles. That like now he's been in ten finals. He's won five of them. 
Like he's been around for quite some time. He's 25. And I feel like this is his prime. So now the question is like just, yeah, like can he put together a really deep run in a major? And yeah. can he like be one of those Americans that like gets into major finals? I mean, like, because now Tiafo has done it, Paul has done it. And the most consistent one hasn't. Because his best result is a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. So, you know, let's see. I feel like Wimbledon and the U.S. Open are good opportunities for him to prove himself. Yeah. Like on the biggest stage. Because, yeah, I, I, I mean, and I mean, it's no secret he's never going to be the best mover. Like, you look at the top 10, you know, he's not, yeah. like, de- like, defensively, he's improved in that department. And he's his uh, ball striking is so good that when he's on the front foot, he's excellent. But when he's pushed into corners and he's having to, like, you know, defend, change directions, you know, those those great things that, uh, like, for example, Medvedev, Djokovic, like, Alcaraz, like, what they're all so good at. Yeah. Those things um, don't come as don't come as naturally to him. Like he's not he's not the best athlete, but he's one of the best ball strikers, forehand, backhand, and yeah, serve. And his yeah. condition is so good. I feel and like he's he's, not, a, he's an improved version of John Isner in a way. Oh yeah, yeah, much so because his game is much more complete, and he really hugs the baseline, and he's competent on both wings. Um, his backhand is yeah, like elite, like one of the yeah. best in the world, and he can change directions on it. And yeah. obviously, the forehand is like even bigger than of a weapon than it used to be. Because yeah. back then, I always thought the ball striking was always really good. Yeah, I think the, the forehand yeah. one of the one of the greatest things about it is obviously he can put it anywhere, and he can yeah, disguise. He can yeah, he can disguise the shot so well. Like he can yeah. throw in a drop shot. He can. I was that was one of the shots in the in the um the the highlights that they put in up that he made an approach running around his back his backhand, and I was convinced yeah, he was gonna hit it. Yeah, and I was I was convinced he was gonna hit it inside out, and he hit it inside in, and I was I was just impressed because like that's that's a good skill to have like to disguise your shot like you, yeah. you don't really want to be calling like the direction you're going to go to with your body and some players are good at detecting those those things right so it's a good idea to do it especially when you have your opponent like push behind the baseline because yeah. like they're they're expecting to like defend and get back to the middle and like cover the cross court or the down the line but if you throw yeah. in the drop shot that just gives them like another thing to worry about yeah, that too. Yeah, drop shots are, and he's 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 got good feel as well. It's pretty complete, yeah. as you said. Like I feel like if he can compensate for his movement, and his yeah. neck game is not that good, like his volleys and stuff. But his, yeah. probably the two areas are like the neck game and the um, like yeah, just naturally defensively. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I think I think he is gonna. Um, like he might not win another Masters one thousand, but I think he can definitely have another top ten season. Yeah, I think he might yeah. if the conditions are right. Maybe he can pull off like a Cincinnati win. Yeah, he'll probably need to stay healthy. Like yeah, that too for a much longer period because last year, even though he finished number eight, nine, he still had so many injuries because he didn't play the entire play season pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he was his foot was in his foot was in a boot. Like, I think after Wimbledon until the U.S. Open, which didn't help. Then he lost in the first round, too. Yeah, he he did suffer an injury, right, at Indian Wells, so... Oh, yeah, and then Indian Wells, like, he rolled his ankle, and then they got, like, two or three injections right before the match, numbed, so he couldn't feel the pain at all. But then that wore off, and then he was out for a lot of the clay season. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) So that was... uh, And obviously Netflix uh, covered that. Yeah, so that, that was that was one of the good parts. I feel like because Fritz was able to win it, like Breakpoint, kind of like it, it it was a lot better in that sense. That like you could see Taylor Fritz's 
win and like how he showed up against Nadal. Obviously, they didn't. I don't think they mentioned Nadal having a rib injury in the in that no, final. They didn't. The, I, yeah. you know, that would have been nice had they you know added that. Yeah, because like that was obviously a big part of the outcome. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, like because I get that they were only just trying to show like the next generation of players. Yeah, and like trying not to mention really Djokovic or Nadal, but like that was a big part. Like you know, that would have been nice to at least mention. Yeah, just, just so to add a bit to the yeah. context of it. Yeah, but in all in all, like if we're if we're just talking a, a little bit about Breakpoint, I I enjoyed it because I just really like just be able to see more of players and like how they think like in the day to day, and um, I I find that it's kind of always good to give like another perspective of the tour. Sometimes it's really easy for for us on Twitter and like podcasters and whatnot just to be like, oh, you should like be more confident or like believe more in your shots or like study more tactically and stuff but like i mean i feel like you really did get to show like how how much tougher it can be like if you're if you're up there and just like in and out and like there's just it's just a, a very emotionally tiring to be a tennis player i would say or an yeah, athlete it really it really gives you a good sense of the psychology that goes on like behind the scenes and what these players are like like thinking because like even in that fritz episode like his t- entire team was basically telling him like don't play don't yeah. play you're gonna risk your entire career what are you doing? This is one match. And he's like, no, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life if I don't go on that court. Yeah. And so basically, you know, he, he, it, it just portrayed like that, that the side of him. And like, I don't think that was done for the cameras. I think that was actually pretty, that was a, that was a genuine part of the story. So yeah. I think that's, uh, yeah, it, it's good that they got that in there. Um, and yeah, like like breakpoint can only really just like add to the game, you know. It's not something that'll like hurt the sport or yeah, do any like like whatever it is. It's just an, another like additional thing, basically. So, yeah, it, it's more content, so why not? Yeah. So, and we, we we need more content in tennis uh, in terms True. of like the like covering the the players and getting in like getting those interesting nuggets. Uh, not necessarily more con- content in terms of more tennis, but more content in terms of yeah, uh, yeah, like. <laughs> social media content like for example yeah they'll come up like next year with like five different masses on thousand like up to 14 yeah and then, upgrading like, upgrading and then we're also a grand slam now oh uh, yeah but basically uh but basically yeah and then I, I like how tennis also turns out these really cool stories like the one with mateo uh you you probably heard about the one with mateo um god what's his name the one who's a real estate developer oh yeah yeah it's a um, yeah mateo I forget Pocodich, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he beat Jack Sock and he qualified for Delray Beach, but that mm-hmm. story was nuts. Because this this guy has a day job nine through six, and yeah. he does he's in uh, real estate develop real estate development and like finance. Yeah. And like his backstory was was wild because he has an MBA from Harvard and he was uh, ranked in, in the like, around two hundred in twenty sixteen. And he played he played at Princeton. He was a really good player for four years at Princeton. Uh, and then, like from fourteen to sixteen, twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen, he got to two hundred in the world. So you're thinking, okay, like now he can break through. Like he's pretty good. But yeah. then he got, then he got all these injuries. Yeah, he, he got a very, a very serious stomach disease, I believe. Yeah, like uh, he had to get surgery for a stomach, for his stomach, and then he like never really recovered from that. And then that's when he thought, okay, I can get my business degree from Harvard. Um, and then, then he started working nine through five because then COVID hit. And he could pretty much only play local events. 
and then yeah. now and then, and then now he just like does this like part time like you know he might not even like play like on the tour like that much because he's so pretty much very successful in his normal his normal life his normal career yeah his normal career. and like he trains with like 70 year olds like his boss yeah and, he's also 33 years old so like i mean yeah. if he if he gives so us a shot it's gonna last for like three years max yeah so but that's pretty wild that you can go and beat jack sock yeah in your in your first match and qualify it's kind of like the marcus willis story at Wimbledon. like yeah that was a that was a cool one as well like it's uh it's 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 kind of one of those like fairy tales it doesn't like last very long but it's uh cool when it happens yeah it's just it's always a feel good story like when you when you hear those so yeah yeah but yeah i guess that that makes the round of it like um as we said like we're not gonna go over the full draw of uh dubai the wta yeah. 1000 but um we will be following it um you can follow it with us and just like send us highlights and whatnot like just making comments on twitter at tennis and bagels Tennis and Bagels official. Tennis and Bagels official. No. Yeah, Tennis not. and Bagels official is our. It's just the name of the account. Thing, but you can follow us at Tennis and Bagels. I think. Yeah, it's just Tennis and Bagels, uh, and uh, you can follow Vunch when he's going to share a bunch of uh, crazy stats all the time um, <laughs> at Vunch B2K and my horrible takes at Rollenberg Andre um, and other things. And this week I shared a bunch of music. There's nothing to do with tennis. So you're, if you want to follow me for like my personal stuff, that's there. But like, you're just staying for guacamole. Yes. Yeah. My horrible take on guacamole. Yeah. yeah let me know. <laughs> let me know in my comments if you like guacamole or not. Cause I don't. And yeah. Well, I don't hate guacamole, by the way. I, <laughs> I eat it, but I don't get the passion for it. It's just, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I it's kind of, of those, I like, like it. You know, like, like for like parties and like Super Bowls, yeah. Like for the Super Bowl, or like a big like event or like, yeah. like just a kind of a nice snack or something. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. I can. Yeah. I think we all have our food opinions that are. Yeah. Different. Yeah. The, yeah, co- the controversial food opinions. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone has at least one. So. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and Owen, who isn't here, uh, maybe we're gonna be able to chat soon. But you can also follow him um, at. Tennis Nation. Um, And we'll see you next time. So see you later. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.